Now, whether you're a Christian or not today, when you think of the character of David in the Bible, there are usually two stories that come to mind. Uh, The first one uh, is actually David and Goliath. And again, let me prove to you that our society still knows this story. How many of you are Survivor fans? The TV show Survivor? Anybody? You know, uh, we've watched that show for many, many years. Did you know the current season is called Survivor, David versus Goliath? And so they didn't have to explain what that is because people in our culture still know the story about David and Goliath. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. Now, the second most common, you know, story related to David is what? Bathsheba, you know, the story of the king who seduces a, another married woman and, and he sleeps with her, she gets pregnant, he tries to cover it up, etc., etc. That's the story that we're going to actually dive into today. But this story that's familiar to many of us in this room, or most of us in this room, has probably been preached thousands of times. And, and most of the time, it's been preached from the angle of, man, the guy really screwed up, let's not screw up and go home. What I'd like to do is actually present it from a different, you know, vantage point. Maybe some, some different way of looking at it. In other words, how did he get there? What was the leading up part? Instead of the actual act itself this week, what is the leading up part and what can we learn, you know, as, as we try to understand our own lives? Now, last week we talked about um, how we are here and yet there are parts of our lives that want to be there. You know, uh, we want to graduate, you know, from high school. We want to, you know, get a girlfriend or boyfriend. We want to get married. We want to have a kid. We want that job promotion. We want to lose the weight. We want to get out of debt. We're here, and we want to be there, and yet we're in this kind of waiting zone going from here to there. And one of the things that we left with last week was the challenge to embrace the wait. that sometimes there's lessons learned in the waiting season uh, that may be far greater than actually when we arrive. But what happens when we actually get there? Uh, you see, David moves from here to there. 15 years later, from when he was told he was going to be king, he actually becomes king. And so what happens in our lives when we actually accomplish the things that we have set out to accomplish? And you're going to find that there's actually some dangers that's right around the corner when we actually find ourselves in seasons of success that we want to be very, very aware of. And if you find yourself today in any aspect of your life, in a season of success, of blessing, of prosperity, of encouragement, there's still a warning to be had. And so notice the first thing that David, King David does, he becomes king, and here's the first thing that he does. In 2 Samuel 5, 6, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites. What has taken place is in this change of leadership that often happens in countries, there is turmoil within the country itself. Now, when there's turmoil, enemies outside the country say, aha, here's our opportunity to take advantage of the turmoil in that country. So they start moving in from all angles. In fact, we've got a picture, you know, for you to take a look at, you know, of all the different, you know, nations that have kind of come in and David doesn't even have control when he becomes king of the capital of Israel, which is Jerusalem. But he's got to, you know, kick out the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, Aram, and all the other ites that you can possibly think of. So he's got to kick them out. So his first things that he does is a reign, you know, of king in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapters 5 through 10, is he's kicking all of these armies out. At the same time, he's trying to reestablish worship of the one true God. 
and try to get Israel focused on that. He goes against the Ark of the Covenant, brings it where it should be, and then he builds a palace all at the same time that leads us up to chapter 10. So in 2 Samuel 10, David has one last, one last major enemy to defeat. And this one uh, during this season is probably the most hated of all the groups, and it's the Ammonites. Now they live just east of the Jordan River next to Israel. Now let me show you how brutal these guys are, is to just, are just to give you guys a picture. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 27, this is what we read. Nahash, king of the Ammonites, had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben who lived east of the Jordan River. He gouged out the right eye of each of the Israelites living there. And he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue them. In fact, of all the Israelites east of the Jordan, there wasn't a single one whose right eye Nahash had not gouged out. How do you think the nation of Israel viewed the Ammonites? How do you think they viewed the Ammonites? Right? I mean, that's, that's incredible, incredibly brutal of a society to be able to do that to another. And so David, upon taking the king, he wants to avoid war. He's not one that just wants to rush into war. He actually tries diplomacy first. And you'll read about it in 2 Samuel 10, verse 4. So what he did was Hanan seized David's ambassadors, and he shaved off half of each man's beards, cut their robes at the buttocks, and sent them back to David in shame. Guys, I can't make this up. You need to read your Bibles. This is true incidences that take place in 2 Samuel 10, verse 4. Now imagine the shame in that day. A beard was a prominent thing, and so for him to cut it off in half would have been very, very, very embarrassing. Secondly, when you cut off a man's robe up to his buttocks on the backside, I'm not going to go graphic on the other side. So they are completely shame-filled and running out literally half-naked out of this city. Now, how do you think David responds? He's a little angry now. So he's infuriated, and he sends his whole army, and he himself, and they go, and they begin to fight the Ammonites. They're kicking their tails. They're winning. They're destroying. They're pushing them back to the regions. Then all of a sudden, at the end of chapter 10, they stop. Now, we can only guess on why they stopped the battle at that time. One of the things that I, I, I think took place is wintertime came. And in the time of winter, they don't have, you know, north face jackets and they don't have these things. So in times of war, back then, people would go back to their areas. They'd hunker down for the winter because it's not worth fighting and killing your own men, you know, with the elements being what they were. And then in the springtime, they would resume the fights. In the springtime, they would actually then resume the battle. Okay, so this is the last major battle that's on the doorstep in Israel that David is fighting. With all of that background, it sets the stage for 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 11. We're going to look at four verses today. That's all we're going to do today. We're going to hit the rest of the story next week. Four little verses that I think are going to help us when it comes to our relationship with God. But here's the question as you're turning there. What are some things that bore you in life? You know, uh, you've ever heard the phrase, we use a phrase like, I'm so bored, I'm bored to death, right? That's kind of the title of the message today is bored to death. And so uh, I want you to turn to the person next to you 
And just what are some things that come to mind when you're saying, man, when I am involved in this or not involved in this, I am so bored. So go ahead and turn to the person next to you and go ahead and talk about this right now. All right. I want to hear a couple of these. What makes you bored? Where do you find yourself bored? Yeah. School. <laughs> yes, I knew. Didn't get that at the last service. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Not being on electronics. Absolutely boring. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going shopping and you're waiting for your mom to pick out all the clothes that she wants. That's funny and true. That's true. That's funny. <laughs> Somebody else. What makes you bored? Yeah. What's that? Bruce Lee movies? All right. What <laughs> makes you bored? <laughs> Boo. Somebody boos. Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah. Traveling. You know, when you're in the car for long periods of time, it can be absolutely boring. Somebody last service said NASCAR. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, NASCAR. One more. Yeah. When you're not on a horse. Okay. So just basically most of your life is boring. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. You know, that's painful. Uh, the reason I, I want to say that is because being bored actually comes with a warning. When you find yourself bored, uh, you're finding yourself at a season, and not a moment, I'm talking about a season of boredom, where you might be unfulfilled, unhappy, that is a time where an alert should go up to watch out because boredom actually lends itself and leads itself to actual sin, which we'll get to in just a second, in that season of boredom. Uh, but let's back up a little bit. Success can lead to complacency. Uh, what I mean is if you actually get from here to there, think about what there is. You know, you got married, you had a kid. Uh, you graduated from school, you're on electronics, you know, you made it, you know, you got that job, you paid off the debt, and you're like, victory! And then you're like, what's next? You can find yourself in a season of, that didn't quite satisfy or fulfill in the way that I thought it was going to, in the length in which I thought it was going to fulfill. And so success can easily lead to complacency. Those of you in business know that when you're number one, doesn't mean you're always going to stay number one. In fact, it can lead itself to just be complacent. Uh, those of you who are under 30, uh, I'm going to say a word that uh, some of you may need to Google because it actually is true, and the word is blockbuster video, okay? <laughs> blockbuster video. You're like, what's blockbuster video? Blockbuster video used to be, until recently, the number one distributor, uh, distributor of VHS and then DVD videos for home entertainment. But this little, little startup company came to Blockbuster one day and said, hey, would you like to partner? You might have heard of that startup company. It was called Netflix. And Blockbuster said, no, we're number one. 
We don't need to do any of that kind of stuff. We are completely fine. They found themselves complacent, and when you find yourself complacent, Blockbuster is dead. There's no more such thing as Blockbuster. Now, you can say the same thing about, you know, Polaroid or Kodak. In fact, uh, Andy Grove from the Intel Corporation has said these words that I don't think just apply to business. I think it applies to us as well. Success breeds complacency, and complacency breeds failure. See, David has found himself complacent. He said, I've got all of the armies. I've done all of the battling. I've done all the hard work. I've gone from here to there. I've cleared things out. I have arrived. And he finds himself complacent in, in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. Here's what we read. In the spring of the year, that's why we think that they may have hunkered down for the winter, when kings, don't miss this, when kings normally go out to war, David doesn't. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight these Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army, so they were successful, and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. To stay behind in the Hebrew actually literally means to sit out. So what David was saying is like, I'm gonna, boys, I'm going to sit this one out. You guys got this. And this is where David's life begins to intersect with ours. See, he finds himself successful. When we find ourselves successful, you find yourself a little complacent. So he stays behind. He might have hung out in his bedroom if it was today, day and age, on Instagram. Maybe watching sports. He's on Netflix. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But he finds himself complacent. He's fought battle after battle. And sometimes when you fight battles, we feel like, I need a season, not just a day, I need a season to relax. No, you don't. You need a season to rest. There's a big difference between relaxing and resting. You know this. You go on vacation thinking you're going to relax, and you come back actually not any more rested than when you left. You changed activities from one to another, and you come back like, whew, I need a vacation from my vacation. Anybody ever been there? Am I the only one? Yeah. So you need to rest. That's a different season. But David's already had rest. It's not like he just got off a battle. He's had the entire winter to rest. And when the kings should go to war now, he decides to stay at home. He's in complacency. The problem with that is that complacency, when we're unfulfilled, we're unhappy, we have that lack of peace, and leads to boredom. Complacency leads to boredom. So here's what we find in David's boredom, what begins to take place. 2 Samuel 11, verse 2. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of his bed, and he was just walking around on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, if you've heard this story before, maybe you've heard other pastors, you know, who've even mentioned, well, you know, Bathsheba, she's partly to blame. You know, she was seducing him. She would know these things. I'm like, I don't believe that for a second. Because you think about it, it's the middle of the day, okay? Where are the men right now in this story? They're in war. They're not there. Or they're working somewhere else. Or they're in, in, injured, you know, or sick, and so they're laying about. So actually, it is the best time to take a bath, you know, based on the structure. They had walls that was there. But if the king was where he should have been at the time, he wouldn't actually find himself in this season of complacency and in the season of boredom. So let me ask you this. You ever find yourself complacent and bored? Not for a few moments. Everybody experienced that. Not for days. I'm talking about a season. Find yourself bored at your job, in your school. How about with a relationship, with marriage? Uh, you know, boredom 
The reason it's important is because, as I mentioned in the beginning, boredom often lends itself. It leads to sin. It leads to us open to temptation. And here's what we read about what happened to David. He's gone from success to complacency, complacency now to boredom. Now he's peered. So now boredom is leading itself, lending itself to sin. In 2 Samuel 11, verse 3 and 4, David sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We're going to talk more next week. These are two of David's mighty men, both of which you know, are close friends of David. Then David sent messengers to her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. See, when you and I get bored, we start looking for something to fulfill our boredom, right? We, we, we do, especially when we're in a season of that. We look, and we linger, and then we usually get caught up in something that we probably shouldn't, that actually causes us harm in relationships with God or with other people. Don't believe me? <laughs> Remember when you were in grade school? You know, or even in the, in the high school, what do the counselors always say? Hey, a bored kid is more apt to get in trouble than a kid that actually has things that's going on in their life. When kids are bored, they lend themselves to actually finding themselves more in trouble than kids who are not. Now, do you really think that changes as we grow up? It doesn't. That's where we're our, 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 ourselves kind of lends itself. Now, when we get bored, it doesn't always lead to sexual sin. That's, that's not what it always leads to. Uh, it could lead to other things. Other things, because you're bored in this season, we find ourselves trying to fill ourselves up. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, uh, social media and video games, right? You're like, I'm so bored. We pull out our phones, and we start getting on social media. Or if you're a little bit younger or older, you start getting on video games. Do you ever notice, you know, that when you're on the video game, time goes by so fast, and you feel like you're, they've been entertained, or you're scrolling through social media, you feel like you're completely entertained, and then you get off, but you don't feel any better. You don't feel any better. You don't believe me, ask your mom and dad if you act any better, if, if there's something that might have changed in your personality type as you tried to fulfill some boredom inside of you. Could it be in your boredom, you're looking at social media because you're looking at your life going, I want to see what other people are doing so that I have something that I can talk about with my friends about other people. You know what we call that? We actually call that gossip. But we see ourselves falling into that. Now, sometimes it can lead to neglect of family because I'm just trying to get rid of this boredom or even a substance abuse. Now, personally, here's what I know I can admit to. There, there have been seasons of my life that I have been bored and I have found myself going to the refrigerator even if I'm not hungry. Anybody else? Like, I'm not hungry, but I'm going to the refrigerator. Why? I find myself, I'm like, wait a minute, there's something internally that I'm trying to fill with food, even though I'm not even hungry for the food in which I'm trying to fill myself with. Now, you might not go to there, but you might be the one that goes to materialism. I'm bored. It's time to shop. Let's go shopping. You know, Amazon Prime. It's so easy. Just click, swipe. It comes to the door. Woo, Christmas morning. It's just like fun. It relieves temporarily the boredom that we're feeling in our lives. Bored. So let me see what's, what I can do to fill that boredom. Some of you might be thinking, like I did, Dan, I am not bored. I'll show you my calendar. I am so busy, there is no time to be bored. Now, you do realize that you can be incredibly busy and incredibly bored at the same time. You ever been in a job or situation or even a relationship where everything, there's activity that's going on all the time, but you find yourself bored. If you don't like that word bored, 
Let me use this one. Unfulfilled, empty, even though your calendar is extremely full. And you can keep filling it with more and more things, trying to find a fulfillment that you're trying to grasp, that's trying to meet a need that's inside of you. See, we can be busy and bored at the same time. Key is, if what we are busy with doesn't align with God's purposes, it will eventually become unfulfilling or boring. Uh, you'll realize uh, that if it's just your purposes in life to get you from here to there, you will arrive there realizing, why did I spend so much of my life getting there? Because now I got to find that next thing to get me there, that next thing to get me there. Because every there in my life, if it's only about me and my purposes and my pleasure and my climbing, whatever ladder I think that's going to make me happy or fulfilled, you'll find it leaves you wanting. It will always leave you wanting. See, without a mission beyond ourselves, we're ripe for failure, even while we're succeeding. So here's my question. What are you involved in that's bigger than you? that's eternal. What are you involved in? Uh, here's something that you may or have never thought before. We don't fight sin by not sinning. Uh, you might have heard people say that. Just, just, just stop it. You're like, that doesn't help. We fight sin by finding and battling for a God-sized vision that is bigger than our sin. Uh, let, me use it, let me say it this way, uh, because it's always something that's stuck with me, you know, since I was a teenager. One of the greatest, you know, theologians of all age is Homer Simpson. It's true. So there's a lot you can learn from The Simpsons <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the things that I, I'll never forget is Homer Simpson one day decides to go on a diet, right? He goes on a diet. He puts in his mind. He's absolutely committed to go on a diet. He comes down the stairs. There's nobody around. And yet on the breakfast table with a light shining from heaven on this plate is one last donut. And it's just glistening. And then all you hear, you hear the thought bubbles in Homer Simpson's mind. Don't eat the donut. Don't eat the donut. Don't eat the donut. Don't. In the next frame, he ate the donut. Homer Simpson is a genius because he didn't even realize that by focusing on the very thing that brings temptation actually is the thing that will continue to occupy your mind, which eventually will lead you to ruin. If you want to fight sin and temptation, you don't focus on praying against the sin and temptation. You focus and begin to pray on something larger than the sin or the temptation that you're going through. You will never win the battle. If you struggle with lust and say, God, help me with lust, help me with lust, help me with lust, help me with lust. Do you realize all you're doing is putting the lust image back into your mind over and over and over and over? You have to create a different battle, a different mission, a different purpose that gets your mind off of that onto something greater than what it is that you're struggling with or for. I want to pry just a little bit in your life. What Goliath are you chasing after that's keeping you away from boredom? What is the God-sized vision? Let me give you one. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people. You're royal priests. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. So as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Or Galatians 5, 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Focus on the Spirit instead of the nature. You're going to have this battle every single day. So do I. See, without a mission in front of you, sin can creep up behind you. God designed us for an adventure. He designed us to be involved in something bigger than ourselves. Why do you think we gravitate towards watching sports, watching battles take place? There's something that gravitates us towards that. Now, if you're not a sports person, think about movies. 
Why, why, do we, why do we like those Gladiator, Braveheart, Infinity Wars, you know, type movies? There's something about the battle that we love. I'm being too masculine. Ladies, why do you love The Notebook? Okay? Because Ryan spends the entire movie chasing after Rachel and battling for her heart. You see that in every romance movie that's ever been created. Here's guy, loves girl, hard to get girl, goes through battle, girl rejects guy, guy has to overcome whatever obstacle is in him or around him. He gets girl and ladies walk out like, I want that for my life. <laughs> right? We want to have that engagement. We want to have that battle that takes place. We are wired for something bigger than us. Married people, do you find yourself bored in your relationship, in your marriage? Uh, I'm going to pick on men for just a second because, uh, quite frankly, I am one. Just makes it a little bit easier, you know, to do. Uh, men, when was the last time that you did something incredibly meaningful to battle for, pursue your wife? See, one of the mistakes that we make, you know, as men is that we battled, we know what that looks like, and we win her, we got her to date us, we got her to uh, date us longer, and then we got her to say yes to engagement, even yes to marriage. But we think that the battle is won, and we move on to other battles in our lives, not realizing it's a battle we got to continue to fight for and fight with. Man, another reason that you might be bored in your marriage is because of your phone. Your phone will bore you to death with porn. And it doesn't mean you're addicted, maybe some of you are, but it's so much easier just to click and swipe, click and swipe, click and swipe, than it is to actually engage and battle after the heart of our spouse. It's just so much easier. And so you find yourself, and you know this to be true, man, that when you click and swipe and you go through that season, you find yourself a weaker man in the long run, not a stronger one. And you feel this guilt and the shame. The, the key is not to focus on the porn, not to focus on the sexual images. The key is to battle for your wife. You see the difference? The, P is to, the key is to go after that. All right, let's get more general. Let's get more general for, for us. Those of you who are Christians, are you bored with Christianity? You ever found yourself like, hmm, this is what I do. I guess I'm a Christian because my parents were a Christian. I go a couple times a year, maybe once a month to church, and I'm a Christian. Uh, let's, let's kind of break that down. Are you bored with the Bible? Ever found yourself reading just bored? Could it be, just something to pry a little bit, that you're just reading it and not trying to live it? Because when you read it, you might find yourself bored. I've heard these stories, or I'm getting more knowledge, and that's not bad, but when you start to try to live it and allow Christ to live in you, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is a different ballgame. Now I'm in the game, not on the sidelines. Or let's use prayer. Are you bored with prayer? Find yourself bored? Wake up, I pray. Over a meal, Lord, thank you for the food. Get to the end of the day, Lord, bless me for today. Those prayers are not bad. But when's the last time you prayed for something that was greater than what you could accomplish beyond yourself? Some God-sized vision that caused you to go to prayer. All of a sudden, your prayer life will go to a whole nother level because you're praying for something large. You're praying for something, something big to happen in and through you. Are you bored with church? Like I said, coming in just a couple times a month maybe? Could it be that you find yourself only as a consumer instead of a contributor? You do realize that following Christ and being a Christian is super boring after a while if you're only on the sidelines and not in the game. It doesn't matter how blue in the face I can get if you're not in the game. 
if you're not participating in what God wants to do in you and through you in an amazing way. Uh, here's what I would say. Ask the people who've decided to partner with God at Otis. Here's what was amazing this last week. I could not talk to enough people who were not incredibly emotional who had given their time, their talents, and their treasures to what God was doing at Otis. And when they saw people coming, it was emotional for so many people. There, there, was, there was tears that were taking place, and the volunteers that were there, they're like, I've been a part of things, but they are all in. Why? Because they're involved in something bigger than any of them could do individually. And so they find themselves cheering and getting more excited about what God's doing because God is using them to be involved in something bigger than what they would normally do week in and week out. That's an opportunity to move from the sidelines to into the game. You do realize we have hundreds of kids here, hundreds, who come here every single week, elementary, junior high, and high school, who you have an opportunity to shape their lives for all eternity. They're looking for people to plug in. See, the gravitational pull of boredom is always towards sin. So as we close, here's the takeaway. Where is God calling you to use your energy, your time, and your talent for his purposes? For his purposes. Maybe you need to engage in the battle back at home, bring Christ back in the family. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's bringing Christ into the job. I don't know. See, God's called you to an adventure that's bigger than you. And if you're not chasing after a Goliath, there is a Bathsheba that's right behind us. And that's the lesson that we learn from David. For those of you who are not a Christian, maybe you've gone down that trail. If not, you will. And you've pursued whatever our society, whatever you thought was successful. And you got there and you're like, that's not fulfilling. We want to offer you, as Jesus did for so many people, an opportunity to engage in a different life. And all you got to do is to say, Jesus, I give you my life and you begin a journey that's bigger than yourselves. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to engage with you. I pray, Father, that you would just allow us to learn this critical lesson from David's life, who became an unlikely leader but also had faults. Help us to recognize where we might be bored and to find fulfillment in you. If you're here today, you've never accepted Christ, may today be the day that you pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I give you my life. For the rest of us, Lord, may we give this to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.